Sunday Surefire Podcast. I'm your host, The Commish. We will do not have Captain Carmen on the show with us here tonight, but uh, I am joined by my good friend, Mr. Aaron Downtown Brown. And uh, Aaron, was there a football game on in the last few days that uh, we need to discuss with the listeners tonight? Hmm, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I mean, Kamish is my 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 voice. Uh, not not the same as we're going two weeks in a row. Um, I think that's a good signal to say I've been I was yelling and screaming over the weekend. So so yeah, I mean, we had a pretty big game um, that just passed by. I wonder I wonder what that was. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. And as our as our resident Chiefs Chiefs fan in the room, I'm sure you had a. I'm sure you had a rooting interest in the in the Super Bowl 57 that concluded on Sunday night. Um, you know, I, uh, it's your team, it's your championship, so I will get out of the way and give you your platform to uh, to celebrate a little bit and uh, give you give us your thoughts on the game. Yeah, no, I mean, I think first of all, one thing I like that we do on this show is we we kind of have like a midweek show, usually either release Wednesday or Thursday, so. Um, some of like initial reactions over games um, and, and thoughts like kind of get taken care of either with social media, like the same night, you know, the next day you got, you know, some of the big time shows on ESPN and stuff like that. So I like that we, you know, we can kind of go a little later in the week after some of the, the dust has settled and, and whatnot and just kind of recap the game as a whole. That's what I like to think about at this point. You know, I, I of course, everyone who watched the the game and the ending will will, will think of like a, that certain play at the end and whatnot. But I think we can all agree it was it was a great game to watch. It was very enjoyable. I think you know both teams deserve to be there. Um, you got to see greatness, right? So I think like either team, you know, if they didn't if they didn't have Hurts playing the way he did, they had Mahomes, and so there's a couple other headlines in there too, hidden in there, but. Um, it was just such a great game. He, I think you really saw like a, a, an elite level of NFL being played. And now I don't know what, I don't know what you think, you know, with, uh, you know, being a Pats fan or, you know, you all, all you listeners out there, if, um, you know, do you think some of the other teams could play like that at the Super Bowl? Right. So I, I guess that's just the question is like, I really do think we had a great matchup. Um, Eagles kind of showed up and proved they do they did uh, deserve to be there, honestly, too. So um, that's just my first initial overall reaction. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think we did get the two best teams in the league this year on in the Super Bowl Bowl, which does not always happen. The AFC is obviously a little bit more of a gauntlet between Buffalo with Josh Allen, Cincinnati with Joe Burrow, and obviously Kansas City with Mahomes. Those teams kind of pick each other off, and we saw a good AFC title game between – the Bengals and the Chiefs as well. So uh, Cincinnati um, just didn't have quite enough to get to the Super Bowl. Obviously, Kansas City ended up there and played really well, uh, came out with the win. I thought the game as a whole, it was it was really entertaining to watch. Phenomenal, uh, like you said. You know, came down to the end, which was great. Um, both teams played really well. Outside of that one really brutal mistake that Jalen Hurts made with the fumble, that uh, you know, he, he kind of played lights out for most of that game as well. So give him a lot of credit as a young player stepping in there against a really good, really good opponent with the chiefs. He played really well, but overall I thought Kansas city just had a really balanced team win altogether. Now I know the quarterback gets too much credit when you win and too much of the blame when they lose. So you know, Mahomes was good. He did his thing. He did some, had some incredible passes. He had some incredible scrambling as well. 
or the hurt ankle, which was really impressive to see. But overall, like, I saw Andy Reid making some excellent adjustments, especially in the second half to kind of fuel that comeback. The Chiefs defense gave up 35 points, but they did contribute to that TD that I mentioned. So that was a big difference in the game, decided by three points. And the special teams was good for Kansas City as well in this game. They actually had a, a punt return there that set them up inside the five-yard line for a second touchdown. And, you know, they gave Mahomes a chance, and when he needed to be great, he was. So uh, all the credit in the world to them. It's their second title in four years. I, I know I don't need to tell you that. And, uh, you know, they've officially laid the foundation for a dynasty. If they can get even one more in the next couple seasons, I think there's no problem at all putting their name into the dynasty conversation. Uh, you mentioned the penalty at the end. Um, obviously, that, that was really brutal. And I know Bradbury copped to it at the after the game, said he held him and all that. And, and you know, if you if you look by the letter of the law, that, that was a hold. But, you know, they kind of let the players play the whole night. So it just did kind of feel a little bit ticky-tack, to use the words that Greg Olson threw out there. Um, especially, you know, because they they, could, they can kind of throw flags like that in just about any play. And I, th- I think it just kind of sucks some of the air out of the last two minutes where a lot of neutral observers like I was were kind of sitting there thinking like, you know, this is going to be great. Philly's going to get the ball back, you know, down three. Can they go down and tie it? Maybe win it. You know, we'll see. It could go either way. But obviously it didn't, it didn't work out that way. They called the penalty is what it is. The championship, obviously it stands and it's going to fly forever in, in Kansas city. So is what it is on that front, but overall really entertaining Super Bowl, high scoring. If you bet the over, like I know both of us did, you were happy with it. So uh, good game overall. And hopefully next year's can, uh, can compare. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, on the betting aspect, hopefully all of you out there, you know, locked out. I know if, you, you know, if you're listening to the show last week, um, you know, captain said the over uh, two out of the the three picks I said uh, went through. Right. So the uh, it's funny, the actual actually that Goddard play that uh, was upheld was a third and long play went over 12 yards. So that went through that bet was um, taking the over on a uh, longest third down play being over 12 yards. So that hit. Um, I also said, hey, take the over on touchdowns versus punts. So there were more touchdowns and punts in that game as well. Um, so, you know, betting wise that, that hit, uh, I, I think even for that respect, like I, I do want to take a little bit of extra time with the Eagles to, and just kind of talk about just how, you know, how well I think, uh, uh, Hertz played as well. So he had a phenomenal game, right? So he had, you know, the three rushing touchdowns, uh, 300 passing yards, throwing touchdown as well. Um, they, he also got the the hard to hard to get yards as well. Like you even look at when they did that two point conversion, like they kind of stopped him at the one, and he just did that extra effort to get that two points too. Um, just unbelievable game with 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 hurt. So a lot of credit there, and even so much to the fact that like even as a Chiefs fan watching the game, like I wasn't. It sounds crazy. I know they gave up thirty five points, but like you watch the game, it's not like the Chiefs were like. Um, atrocious on defense they were literally putting them in uh like mid third down positions fourth down positions where they you know what the eagles would have to go for it and it just came down to just hurts playing unbelievable ma- making like great throws doing that you know the the 92 percent uh uh success rate with that qb sneak right that philly's so good at as well so um, a little bit of uncanny there but yeah in, in normal teams in normal seasons like you're usually forcing punts on those drives right so um i think that was a really crazy aspect of that game and then you compound that with mahomes needing to 
score on certain possessions, right? Because, like, we talked that last week that, you know, the way to beat the Chiefs and uh, even some of those other high-powering teams is, like, you keep the ball out of their hands, right? And uh, that's what the Eagles were doing. They had long drives. They were scoring. And uh, if they weren't doing that, um, they would not be in a great position to win, right? But they were, right? But then um, alternatively is that's the kind of the formula to beat the Chiefs, right? So the Chiefs had to score on those possessions as well. So that also just adds more excitement to the game because you only get, you know, they're scoring in like a five-minute drive compared to the Eagles on a, you know, like a, um, you know, seven, well, they had like a seven minute drive in the, in the second quarter. Right. So I thought that was a really cool aspect of the game too. Yeah. There's definitely a lot to unpack in, in any Super Bowl, especially one as, as tightly contested and high scoring as this one, like you mentioned on the Philadelphia, you know, they, if it's fourth and two or shorter, it's almost an automatic. So then, and they really play knowing that they have that, that rugby scrum type play in their back pocket. So if it's third and six, third and seven, they have no problem just going shotgun and handing the ball off, running a draw play, things that you never see from an NFL team on third down. So it is kind of crazy. It's almost like it's a weird, like, like uh, you know, you're playing Madden and you just run QB sneak knowing that you're going to pick it up every single time because, like, there's a, a you know a flaw in the computer that you know that it <laughs> yeah. can't be stopped. It's almost like akin to that type of thing where they yeah. just have that play in their back pocket. Back in the college, it's really back in the college games. It, it was the the hail mary play, hail mary, and then you'd yes. run, run with the quarterback. That yep. worked every time. <laughs> yeah, it's like a cheat code out there. They have it's uh, it, it's really insane. I wonder if the league's gonna look into that and and just kind of decide like, hey, this isn't really what we want in the game. Like, it's just it's not really aesthetically pleasing, but it's incredibly effective. So I I kind of look at it almost like a handful of years ago. The I think the Patriots were the first one to do it. They had guys jumping over the line on field goals to block kicks. And uh, yeah. that was really fun and everyone loved it and no one ever got hurt on it, but they decided that uh, they needed to change it anyway and get rid of it because that's what the no fun league does is uh, <laughs> yeah. they take away things that are interesting and they, and they take them away. But no, in, right. in all seriousness, I, I it's an unstoppable play and they, and they ran it really effectively, but you know, ultimately they just didn't have enough. That's, that's kind of why I brought up the, the Jalen hurts fumble. Cause like you said, the, the formula was there, you know, long sustained drives that ended points, Philadelphia, they kicked a field goal. Uh, before halftime, that that drive obviously stalled out, but they were kind of working against the clock on it. But the fumble, you know, if, if they're able to instead turn around and score a touchdown on that drive, like now they're up 14 points, and it's kind of putting the screws to Kansas City a little bit earlier in the game, and maybe that changes it versus you know the fumble like giving them giving Kansas City a touchdown right there to tie the game for free. It's just a mistake that you can't make when you have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid on the other side. So all in all, it was a good game. I know you enjoyed it. I, I think most of America enjoyed at least the first 58 minutes of it. Uh, definitely one for the record books either way. But speaking of the record books, we, uh, we've we been keeping some keeping score of some records on our side here. You know, we had a, a long season with DFS, like we always do. 17 weeks of regular season coverage we had on this program, along with the four playoff rounds as well. So 21 weeks in total that we were out here grinding, you know, out here putting our picks out there for everyone to listen to. And, you know, now we're kind of going to take a few minutes here to just go over some of the results of our entire season and, and where we fell, you know, we all had good picks and bad picks throughout the year, but it's always good at the end of, this, of a long season to recap where we were. So Aaron, downtown Brad, I'll, I'll toss it over to you. Like, where do we, uh, where do we wrap up this year? And at the, at, the, at the end of the day in our DFS rankings. Yeah, this, this is kind of a fun conversation here. And uh, I, I want to say it was like week four, one of us had the breakthrough. I was like, Hey, I, we really need to maybe track this a little bit better and it'd be fun for our listeners and fun to 
spread to the public too, too, to kind of just be able to give data and like success rates with, you know, our, our advice and, and whatnot. So what we did is like past week four, we actually made, um, you know, a league with just ourselves. We had a league where we just played the regular Sunday games, right? The Sunday lineup. Um, and then we did our captain lineup too, right? So we split them up. That way that gave us two different um, data points where we could just look up and see how do we, you know, how good are we at picking, uh, you know, the regular regular lineups and how good are we at at the uh, captain lineups, right? So that, because that's kind of what we, we cover each week. So a little bit of that, um, unfortunately, we, unfortunately, we did get to hear Captain uh, brag a little bit this year towards the end of the year. He did pull away this year. I won season one. He actually won season two with the regular lineups. Um, he, ever since we converted past week four, he had seven wins of the, the regular lineups. I had five, you had four. Um, but here's the cool thing, right? We're all in this together, right? So I'm not, I'm not going to gloat too long with, with Mr. Captain. I said it, right? But um, the cool thing here is if you look at our average points in regular DFS uh, lineups, we average 130 points uh, per week, which if you take my average, your average, and, and captains, it's 130 plus points a week when, um, you know, depending on the lineup you play, right? It, de- it does depend on how much you're playing for. Um, usually that's going to win in like your, you know, your million dollar lineup, right? Like the one that you gotta, you gotta pay 20 bucks to get in, but usually 130 plus points in that lineup will get you at least 30 bucks. Right. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you know, that's about 150% ROI. If you look at it for the whole year in total. Um, so that's great. That's a little great data point there for regular. Um, any comments on our regular lineups there? Uh, just hearing some of that, those stats. Yeah, it was my first year involved with the the day to day or week to week, I should say, entries of lineups every week. It's uh, it's good to hear the results at the end. And like you said, 130 points is really is nothing to sneeze at for for an average between the three of us. It's uh, especially if you're playing in just head to head games, like that's gonna win you a week, like probably three out of four times, unless your opponent absolutely goes off against you. It's uh, so it's it's a good number, a good healthy number. You know, we really are pounding away doing our research every week to give everybody the, the best the best chance to win every single every single week. We don't hit it perfectly. No one hits it perfectly every week, but you know, and I really just we can keep plugging away at it. You know, but if you're playing in these big contests, if we, you know, sure, 130 points might average might get you like you know 20, 30 bucks or whatever coming back, but you know, those spike weeks in there, they can jump up. You, you grab like you know 50, 75, 100 bucks something in there. Kind of, it should kind of keep you afloat for a good chunk of the season. So make sure you're sticking tuned for that next year. We're gonna we're gonna tweak our processes a little bit that we all that we all do individually to make sure that we're giving you, you know the best quality content that we can when, when it comes to setting lineups. So it's a developing it's a developing strategy that we all use to to uh, do this best we can to to maximize earnings for everybody, including ourselves. So uh, good to hear the results on that front. I don't have too much to add for it other than I'm really happy that Captain Carmen was not here to take his uh. Take his victory lap. <laughs> victory lap. Yeah. You know, I, I guess this week we'll have you taking your victory lap for your lap for your Chiefs on the Super Bowl. And next maybe next week we'll get him taking a victory lap for uh the DFS. So fun there couple of go. weeks for me as a spectator. Yeah, yeah. And then just on the captain lineup, um, I actually had the most wins with captain lineup. Um, this one was actually really close when you look at our, our average points. Um, it was like 120 average points. Uh, per week, uh, I believe I had a, it was like 119, 118 or, or, or something like that. But I, 
when I put it together, it averaged to be 118 points per week, which is we actually did insanely well with ca- captain lineups uh, this year. 118, um, you know, over 100 is, is usually pretty good with the regular in the regular season. Um, another, you know, that's n- another one that um, I think we did pretty well with. You know, sometimes we kind of have the uncanny lineups. Sometimes we got the no doubters uh, as far as captains go too. But um, that one was that one was pretty cool to see. I, I think now here's the caveat to this whole conversation. This is another note that I found to be pretty cool this year is um, the 2022 season averaged only 43. Point four total points per game in 2022 and it's the lowest scoring season since 2010 right and it, the, the the average was actually um over 47 points per game in 2021 so it's not like it was just a point or two difference like there's a considerable amount less of points scored this season um so it is kind of it is kind of cool to compare you know what we're scoring being that um, it was a record low point scoring, you know, when you're talking DFS. So um, I guess the first thought is like, what are you thinking? Why, why do you think this year was uh, such a low scoring year in the NFL? Yeah, that really is an interesting stat. You know, we think of the the league being an offensive minded league and it certainly still is regardless of, of uh, the point drop there. I think we just, we decided it's what four points lower this season than last season as well. So I, I, what I attribute that to, and we were discussing this off air as well. I, what I, what I look at at is teams are just deciding that, you know, Hey, as a defense, it's really hard to play defense now, given the way the rules are. So what we're going to do, we're going to put our safeties back. We're going to drop guys into coverage. We're going to force these teams to take checkdowns and move the ball down the field. And in doing that, it takes more time to move the ball and score points. So what the defenses are hoping for is, you know, if, if we make it harder for you to put together long drives, maybe there's a chance that you get a penalty and, and your drive gets backed up. Maybe we get a tip ball and we get a turnover out of it here. Because it's just, it is harder now than ever before, especially with teams like Philadelphia out there going for it on fourth down every single time to get offenses off the field in a traditional fashion. Between that and teams just being, you know, just refusing to punt the ball if they're on the plus side of the 50. So that's kind of where I fell on it. That's my theory on why it's come down. But, uh, what are what are your thoughts on uh, on the dip in scoring that we saw this season? Yeah, I, I think it's along the same lines. I, I think you got you know you got defenses that are you know playing the shell. It is kind of a copycat league. You kind of saw that from the Bills last year. But another thing, it's kind of weird. You gotta you gotta also think offense when you're thinking points scored. You know, on defense too. And um, you know, you you look at like some of like uh some of the Hall of Fame quarterbacks out there you know, 20, 30 years ago, look at their stats compared to the quarterbacks of today. And frankly, these quarterbacks, and yes, we've changed rules to make the job a little bit easier for them and whatnot. Um, But these quarterbacks completion rates have skyrocketed too, right? So they're completing more passes. I mean, shoot, if you're sub 60% completion rate, like their franchise is probably, you know, consistently, there's probably like looking to cut you, right? Like we want, uh, quarterbacks that are not throwing picks and not, uh, you know, have high completion rates. And, and I think that's another part of it too, is like, um, you know, quarterback play passing play is getting so elite to where even some of the worst quarterbacks in the league still have to have a pretty high completion rate. So that actually gets the ball or the game um, moving uh, faster. Right. So it, 
it's less, you know, less possessions for, you know, total possessions for both teams. And, um, you know, it just keeps the, the game rolling. Right. So you don't have as many stoppages and incompletions and, and what, uh, and, and stuff like that too. So that's, that's actually where my head started, started going a little bit is actually QB play as well. Yeah, for sure. Teams want those, they want their elite QBs. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you're not cutting it, it's time to it's time to get moving. And we had a, an NFL team actually cut bait on a, a I'll say a somewhat high profile quarterback, at least a name that's been around for a while that people know. Uh, the Raiders officially moved on from Derek Carr today. So, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think about Derek Carr moving away from the silver and black and, and finding a new home in 2023? Yeah, I I don't think it's I don't I think it made sense for the franchise. I mean, he's one where you look at his stats, it's not. Not not horrible. I mean, he's had maybe uh, I want to say like one or two years where they had like a top five offense, um, but ultimately like they're they're not winning. You know, they're missing the playoffs, and frankly, you're competing against, um, you know, the with the Chiefs. They've been running the divisions, so um, I think you know you may have some of the info, but I think you know they they did see a lot of financial savings by making this cut. I want to say they saved like what was it like $7 million by, by doing this, like right now. Um, I'm not sure about his, his full contract there. Um, I think this was his contract year. Right. But um, and correct me if I'm wrong there, but yeah, I think financially, like they just need to make a different direction with the, uh, with the franchise. Um, I think you mentioned it, like he could probably be successful with another team or just get another fresh start. And it's kind of funny. Like everybody thinks, Oh, uh, Maybe the Colts will grab them, you know, like some of these franchises are just kind of looking for that, that veteran QB if they can't find that star um, rookie out of college and and whatnot too. So he'll most likely go to, uh, you know, a team that's um, got a decent roster overall and, you know, a team that's not in a position to grab that franchise QB. So, um that's kind of just my thoughts there. It's, it's probably a smart move just to move a different direction. Try, try something new because obviously it just wasn't working at a high level with Carr. You know, um, I think he's shown he can have some nice gains, but he's just has not moved the needle. I want to say in his uh, tenure. Yeah, he's been a solid player for for a number of years. He was actually in you know, or with the Raiders organization for nine seasons. So like going on a decade. Didn't win a single playoff game. A lot of that's not his fault. Obviously, they had a lot of uh, they had a lot of poor coaches. They've had a lot of poor players around him for at least for the first part of of his time there. So it's never all one player's fault. But obviously, a quarterback is a high profile position. So they just kind of lost patience with him and decided to move on, which I understand. You know, if it's not good enough now, you're banging your head against the Chiefs and Justin Herbert with the Chargers. So. It's not getting any easier. I, I kind of get the idea of, of looking in a different direction. Maybe they, they, they look to bring in a veteran quarterback into that spot to try to compete a little more right away. And from a contractual standpoint, you know, he assigned a three-year, twenty-one million dollar contract there last season. Now with NBA, it's not. This is not an NBA contract where it's fully guaranteed and the players make all the money. You know, NFL contracts, as we know, you can maneuver around with cap space and you can push money off to future years and. You know, you can cut players to, to save money in some situations as well. So in this move here, just to give you the contract details, they're, uh, you know, they are eating a $5.6 million salary cap hit this season, which in the grand scheme of things isn't all that bad. Um, and they're freeing up $29 million in cap space with this move. So we kind of knew that this was a possibility last season, you know, right when he signed that contract. 
you know, you see the big numbers right off the top. You're like, wow, that's a lot of money for Derek Carr. And then you see how they structure it, where a lot of that money was paid to him in the first year so that they had the flexibility from a cap perspective of moving on from him if they wanted to after year one, which is what ended up happening in his new deal there. Um, overall, I think he's going to be – he'd be a good fit for either the, the Jets or the Saints, I believe. He met with New Orleans last week. The Raiders gave him permission to do so in hopes they could work out a trade with the Saints that did not come to fruition. Um, you know, now he actually worked, he played under Dennis Allen, the current Saints head coach in his first year with the Raiders. So there is a connection there. If you look around the NFC South as well, it's kind of wide open with Tom Brady retiring, you know, that division, the Bucks wanted it eight and nine a season ago. So, you know, the Panthers, Saints, the Bucks and the Falcons are all kind of a mess. So if one of those teams can bring in a, a veteran signal caller just to kind of stabilize their team, I think any, any of those teams you could talk me into having a, a legit chance at winning that division in 2023. So if he goes there, it's a good spot. You know, the Jets have a really good football team as well. The number two defense in points per game allowed a season ago. Uh, their line play is really good when they're healthy. And they have a lot of talented, young, skilled players. And, you know, guys like Brees Hall coming back from injury. Garrett Wilson, the offensive rookie of the year. And uh, also, you know, Elijah Moore and, and a veteran tight end and Tyler Conklin as well. So they have a lot of good pieces there. Someone like Derek Carr could come in there and really help that franchise compete for a wild card spot. The Jets are actually leading the league. <laughs> it's a bad stat naturally with the Jets, but uh, they're lead- they have the lead- league's longest playoff drought going right now. They haven't qualified for the postseason since 2010 when they cracked the AFC Championship game with Mark Sanchez. So it's been a while. They could use a signing like this, a guy like a player like this. I don't know if it's going to be Carr or someone else, but they could use a veteran. And I think with Carr being on the market, that could be something they could explore as well. So. Those are our thoughts yeah. on Derek Carr. A little, we I, got one more bit of player news here to jump into before we, we touch on some head coaching. Oh, I got one. I got one thing real quick. One and, thing. Uh, one before thing we do the... that, Aaron Downtown Brown's going to reset the table on Derek Carr. What do you got? <laughs> yes. Um, so I I know I mentioned it, it's funny. It kind of relates to our last conversation about points, um, total points, and just that what I was hinting at. Um, all right. I'm gonna name two stats. We're gonna uh, we're gonna say name that player, okay? Um, one player is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I'll actually even tell you who it is. Um, John Elway. He threw 56 percent completion percentage. The other quarterback in today's NFL, uh, their career um, completion percentage is 64 percent. Who am I? Is it Derek Carr? It's Derek Carr. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, it was kind of a, you know, uh, I kind of want to do that on purpose because it's just an example of exactly what I was talking about earlier, where they're parting ways with a QB that's, you know, throwing 64% completion bat uh, percentage, right? So um, I just, you know, it, it's kind of funny. Um, but I, to your point, I think. Um, that, that formula can work with a team like, like the Jets, right? Like, let's maybe put them with a, a good defense. I mean, how many years uh, – I mean, when can we really point to a year where the Raiders had a, um elite defense, right? So I, I can't I can't think of where they were top five, right, in, in recent history. So um, I think that that's uh, that's a good example of a good change of scenery where Derek Carr could be pretty pretty elite. Yeah, I've always kind of liked the player. I've never been really enamored with him in any way. You know, there was that one year, I want to say it was 2017, where he was he was up there with the top, looking like he was going to be up there with the top vote getters for MVP. 
before he had, a, I believe, a broken leg derailed them later in that season. But, you know, he never really quite reached that that pinnacle ever again with the Raiders. So I mean, we'll see what the, the, the back half of his career looks like. You know, I, I, a good team would certainly be would be better for him to, to land with rather than a rebuilding franchise. He's not super old either, but, uh, right. you know, he's a solid player. He's kind of a, a middle of the road quarterback. Like you can, he's probably 10 to 12 guys you take before you get to his name, but he's a good solid starter. If he lands with a good team, I can see him making a playoff run, at least winning, maybe getting back to the divisional round sometime soon. But you know, that's enough talk on Derek Carr for right now. Let's go to a player who did not play at all during the 2022 NFL season. And it wasn't because he was injured. It was actually for disciplinary reasons. That's one Calvin Ridley applied for reinstatement to the NFL this week. He was suspended last March for one year for betting on Falcons games when he was a member of the team. Uh, He claimed he's actually away from the team at the time of the bets that were placed. Either way here, just incredibly bad look for the NFL. It absolutely cannot happen. A serious suspension was absolutely warranted in this particular case. He needs no better. Like it's kind of the one thing that can really derail the NFL is if the outcomes of the games are are in question. And if you have players betting on this, like we've seen in other sports, you know, Pete Rose is kind of like the the poster child for for betting on games being a no-no and, and certainly in baseball and across all sports. But you know, big mistake on Calvin Ridley's part. You know, he was away from the team with uh, mental mental health issues towards the end of the 2021 season. So we really haven't seen this guy play football since October of 2021. So a lot going on with Calvin Ridley. We, I know we both have some thoughts on it, but you can start it out here. You know, what are your, what are your thoughts on Calvin Ridley? You know, let's assume he gets reinstated for football this season. You know, where, you know, how would you feel about him if that's the case? Yeah, I, I, I like Calvin Ridley. I, I think I always have. Um, I think he's, I think he he's in a good position to, to bounce back, right? Like it's not like he was, held out of the league from a, an injury and he's been trying to rehab this whole time. Um, you know, he, he took a break uh, at first and then he had, you know, this trouble he got into. So I think physically, he, you know, he'll come back. He's still, he's still young um, un, under 30 still. So um, I like the player and I actually like where he's at. I like that the Jags got him before the trade deadline and, uh, um, I think, you know, we saw the emergence of Trevor Lawrence and, you know, this was his kind of make or break year and he had a great year. So I think him and Kirk and Etienne and now uh, uh, captain's boy Ingram, uh, they're going to be a pretty good offense. Right. So um, I think he's going to be a very sneaky player to just have a big uh, emergence in the 23 season. But that's uh, that's my thoughts on Ridley. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with the situation. Uh, obviously the draft pick compensation that they gave up to the Falcons was tied to whether or not he gets reinstated this season. Um, so there, there, there's that element to it. Um, you know, this is the contractual piece here. You know, some people are saying like, there's just too many red flags, especially from a fantasy perspective where they're like, Oh, I don't know if I want to put my hands on this guy. Like, I don't know if I can, if it's worth the risk and all that, you know, I, I think he has a lot of reasons to get back on the field beyond just the whole, like, you know, I want to prove that I still got it. You know, I've been out of football for a year, learned my lesson, all those things. You know, we talked about the Derek Carr's contract and those, those, those big money deals that those quarterbacks get, you know, receivers, especially guys on their rookie contracts, you know, they don't make the, that quite that much money. You know, in Calvin Ridley's first four years in Atlanta, he made a total of $11 million, which, you know, that's a lot of money to you and me and, and probably all of our listeners, but, you know, in NFL terms, like that's not that's not a massive chunk of change here. He was actually scheduled to make eleven, just over eleven million dollars 
on that fifth year option he was going to play on last season. Now his contract is going to toll over to 2023 where he's going to make he's going to make 11 million dollars this season. So he's going to double his career earnings in one year. So he's also walking into a contract year. So it's uh, a lot of a lot of things kind of coming together where he actually should be plenty motivated to stay on the beam, stay away from the gambling. And, you know, really just focus on football and getting back, back in there. And, you know, you mentioned that he, you know, he's not, he's not super old and, you know, he's certainly not like at the end of his career, like in his mid thirties or anything, but, you know, from, from a fantasy perspective, particularly on the dynasty front, you know, he is, he does turn 29 towards the end of the 2023 seasons, which is starting to get on the older side for a wide receiver, at least in terms of recouping value, you know, guys in that age bracket can certainly be producers, but, you know, they start to, they start to hit a peak where, they're not necessarily a type of asset that every single team in a league is going to desire. So he is 29 at the end of the year. However, if he is reinstated for this season, and if it's just if right at the one-year mark, he's eligible to play again or eligible to rejoin the team, he will do all of the following at age 28. He will get back in an NFL facility. He will partake in all OTAs. He'll go through training camp. He'll play in the preseason, and he'll play the entirety of the fantasy football regular season at the age of 28. So yes, if you want to look at him from a val- clearly as a value standpoint as a 29-year-old player, that's perfectly fine. You're technically correct about that. He will play a game at age 29 this season if he's reinstated, but from a physical ramp-up standpoint, he really is 28. So just kind of keep that in mind as you're as you're kind of going through the season here. And there's definitely some hoops to jump through, but it, it could be a guy that, you know, pays off for fantasy managers and as much as I like him, and I had him in, the, in one of the leagues that we're in, Captain Carmen and I actually worked out a trade for him a couple of days ago. <laughs> I know, and I was trying to get him before that happened too. <laughs> yeah, no, and and I, I he I, he was on my roster. I moved him over to, Car- to Captain Carmen's team, and I knew I knew this was this was coming the reinstatement piece and any day now. At least I'm applying for it. But you know, in a 12 team super flex tight end premium league, I traded him Calvin Ridley in exchange for the 2.08, so the eighth pick in the second round of this year's rookie draft, and two 2024 seconds, both of which I think I believe are linked to teams that are likely to finish in the top, we'll say the top four in the round. So I think I got a couple early seconds out of it. We'll see. Don't know for sure on those, but in a mid-second this year. So just, overall, it's just too many pieces to for me to pass up on to alleviate the risk on Ridley. So I guess I'll I'll ask for your thoughts on that. What are, you, what are your thoughts on the trade uh, uh, that went down at this moment in time? Yeah, I was a little jealous um, over um... – not receiving Ridley, but um, I, I also wasn't going to pay a whole lot for Ridley, and I didn't have picks. So, like, that type of trade, I think, made sense for both parties. You know, um, captain was trying to get another um, stud, kind of win-now type guy, um, and then you were looking for draft picks, which I, I, I need to like, start accumulating, accumulating those again, right? So I didn't have those to offer. So I think the trade makes sense. Um, I like the player. Like I said, I like Ridley. Um, I think he, I mean, he came out of, he started the league like a little bit older than a, a traditional rookie, I want to say, right? So, um, he doesn't have that many, uh, you know, miles on the tires, but, um, I love, I love your point of view of just, you know, financially, um, eager to get back out there and try to get a new contract again. Um, but I also like, he's going to have help like that Jaguars offense looked pretty good. This season and Kirk, um, you know, put, played pretty elite this year too. So he's not going to be like the main focus star, right? So that may help his production, you know, that much more. So um, I think altogether, I think it. Ho- hopefully, it'll it'll start looking up for Ridley here in the next 
you know, well, I actually think he got four years left in him where he'll get a at least two year, maybe a two year contract. So maybe maybe I'll say three seasons of good play at least. Yeah, there's no reason to think that if he if he is able to get back in the building and he can get ramped up to at least close to what he once was, he could be very a very helpful piece for the for the Jaguars and for fantasy managers. You know, he was a top five fantasy wide receiver during the 2020 season, which is the last time we saw him play a full campaign. And like we said, he's not injured physically, at least physically. So if he can get out there and keep back doing his thing, I think he can help. I think he can help slot coverage as well for the for the Jaguars. They have a lot of good pieces like like the guys you mentioned. You know, especially if they could bring Evan Ingram back, who's a free agent, you know, I think he could kind of really help Trevor Lawrence, who took that next step in his development towards the second half of last season, making the playoffs and winning a playoff game. So uh, good things on, on that front. I think it's going to really help uh, help the Jaguars, and I think it's going to be good for him to get back on the field as well. And, you know, we have some more changes coming up, too, in the NFL all season. You know, every year there's a, there's a head coaching carousel that kind of goes around and around. There's a, a few vacancies. We had five coaching coaching vacancies for this offseason. They've now all been filled. You know, you and I kind of touched on our – we gave our thoughts on Sean Payton and D'Amico Ryan, so we'll we'll go through those guys quickly as well before we touch on the, the, the other coaches that got hired that we haven't mentioned yet. But I kind of wanted to start with a quick general thought on, uh, you know, on coaching coaching hires in general. We, we spoke earlier on it, the NFL, you know, the offense really is king at the moment. You know, we all know that, you know, the narrative that, you know, defense wins championships, it rang true for a long time in the NFL, but I'm just not really sure that that's the case anymore. You know, five of the last seven Super Bowl winners have scored 31 more or 31 or more points in the Super Bowl. So like you got to score points to win even in the playoffs, even against good defenses at that level. So, you know, I can see the value in some of the, the veteran defensive minded coaches out there. Obviously your Bill Belichick, your Pete Carroll's Mike Tomlin, a couple others as well. You know, those guys have won Super Bowls. They understand the league. You know, those guys should definitely be coaching, you know, in the league. But, you know, if we're talking about first-time head coaches, a personal preference of mine here, you know, if, if my team was going to go get a new coach, like I would want an offensive mind running my program. You know, it doesn't mean the new age defensive coordinators don't deserve opportunities. They certainly do. But, you know, if it's if it's up to me here, you know, if it's close in the hiring process, process between a defensive-minded coach and an offensive-minded coach, I'm going to lean with the offensive-minded guy just about every single time because – you know, it's it's the league, the, the way the, league, the rules are slanted, like I want more of an emphasis on my offense because that's the way the league is favored at the moment. So those are just kind of my quick general thoughts on that. Um, you know, I don't know if you want to touch on that at all or uh, just want to dive right into your quick thoughts on Sean Payton and D'Amico Ryan. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. Um, I think I think I tend to agree with that uh, because. My view of it, you know, I think just coaching in general, like if you want to make an impact right away, um, I think right now on offense, um, you know, I, I think on offense you need, um, you know, if you got a guru over there, maybe if you have pieces of the puzzle that you know that you're not moving from, maybe you have a quarterback, you have a couple wide receivers that aren't moving, right? Like you can, you can come in with a strategy and a game plan and like say, okay, here's our strengths, this is what we're going to do. With defense, um, you know, defenses kind of sway more year to year than offenses do. Like usually there's higher swings in defensive rankings from year to year than than offense. So I think I think you're right in that respect. I think it takes longer to build a good structure on defense and find your young pieces that are gonna stay for longer. And you know, with offense, it's a little bit more clear cut right in my opinion we know the elite quarterbacks we know the elite wide receivers 
Um, do you have a good offensive line yet or not? So I think, I think it's um a little bit more of an impact, and and a lot of these general managers want to want to see that like year one, they want to see a a quick turnaround. Like I think we're saying they're not, they don't have enough patience, right? But um, that's if you want an immediate impact, I think that's your answer, and I agree with you. Uh, honestly, like if you're looking at the whole franchise. I think you got to look at every level, right? You got to look at your GM, like, you know, good, good owners, maybe, you know, they're, they're changing their GMs, right? Like I, I know I, I talk chiefs a lot, but like I look at straight first, like Beach has done wonders over the chiefs roster and are they financially sound? Are they making good moves and trades? And like, it's not, you can't just blame it all on the coach, right? Like it, there's so much, so much involved that really builds good teams, but, um, I think to answer your question, I agree with you. I think offensive minded coach will make the a bigger year one impact than a defensive minded coach. I'm not sure if that may all made sense to you or not. Yeah, and I like the point you had about about patience. It seems like NFL owners have a lot less patience, particularly for quarterbacks now than they ever have before. You know, we want results right away. Like you see a guy like Zach Wilson go number two in the draft just two years ago, and now it's like okay, we gotta we might not be getting rid of the guy, but we gotta find someone to start right now because he's he's just not the guy. Like we don't see quarterbacks get you know three three four five six years to to sit there and develop to to see what they can actually be. Like you know, a lot of times. Owners, they want the instant gratification. They want that guy to at least come in and show some some future stud potential right out of the out of the gate. So to do that, you really got to su- su- support those young quarterbacks with offensive minded coaches, and it usually comes in the form of a head coach versus a veteran offensive coordinator. But speaking of veteran offensive minds in the NFL, you know what do you, you know? Let's reset the table here. You know, give me your thoughts on Sean Payton and D'Amico Ryan's, uh, you know, getting a. Sean Payton, the second opportunity, and D'Amico, his first opportunity as head coaches in the league. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think you have uh, two inverse situations, like what we were just talking about. Like, you got Sean Payton, I think he's going to be expected to make a quick turnaround uh, with his offensive mind. Uh, you know, he's got Russell Wilson. He's got pieces that they're just, I think there are higher expectations. I think D'Amico Ryan, you know, going with the Texans, it's a rebuilding mentality, right? Like, and I, I feel like the whole organization knows that. So um, I feel like Ryan is going to maybe have a little bit more patience and lenient um, over it. I, I think that's why they went in that direction. And um, I guess that's just my quick thoughts. It's, it's almost the exact conversation we're talking about where uh, it, it kind of lines up in that way that we were saying, like the, the Payton's the offensive guy and they, they need a quick turnaround and, Miko is probably more of the long-term investment and, you know, getting that defensive-minded coach in there. Um, I, honestly, I think that kind of that kind of goes along with the combo we just had. Yeah, I mean, speaking of not having patience, like Ryan – Tamiko Ryans is the fifth different head coach that Texans have had in the last four years. Like, again, again, five coaches in four years. Like, so, <laughs> you know, they've been kind of – they fired Bill O'Brien, you know, midseason, and then they had an interim coach. It was Romeo Cornell – then they handed it off to David Cully for a year, followed by Lovey Smith last year. Great looking beard on Lovey Smith, but by the way, like that's <laughs> yeah. like, much better beard than he is, you know, as a head coach at this stage. Like, I'll, I'll say that for sure. But uh, you know, he's he's going to be there on a six year contract. He's going to be the guy going forward for the first time in you know a few years here. They at least have a guy that looks like 
someone that they can they can at least start to to build a program with going forward. So he's got his work cut out for him here, but I think he can rebuild that defensive unit. This was the one defensive-minded head coach on the market that I was really looking forward to seeing get a head coaching gig, and I'm glad he has some security with the Texans to do so. But let's move over to the uh, some of the new guys here that uh, that got jobs here. This uh, this happened a couple of weeks ago. We hadn't had a chance to talk about it on the podcast at the Super Bowl. You know, in the kind of go coming to the forefront, that's Frank Reich landing with the Carolina Panthers, who we played for all the way back in 1995. You know, the Carolina, Carolina though, they hung in there in a, in a bad division last year in the NF- NFC South, but they ended up missing the playoffs, and they currently have the ninth pick in the in the draft coming up. And this is a franchise that's been in – they've been in need of, of, of a true franchise QB for a while now. You know, they had Cam Newton winning the MVP, but that feels like forever ago back in 2015. And, you know – he was a good for another couple of years, then kind of tapered off. So they're kind of in need of a quarterback here. They've been kind of lost in the wilderness ever since. I think the move for Carolina is to draft a young guy. You know, even if someone in that range isn't quite ready to start, if it's like a Will Levis or an Anthony, Anthony Richardson type of quarterback, that's a kind of a little bit more of a project. They could go with a guy like maybe a Derek Carr that we mentioned earlier, maybe a Ryan Tannehill or even a Jimmy Garoppolo coming to town here could be enough to keep this team competitive in that, that division in 2023. So I think it kind of serves, you know, the best of both worlds. If they can get a veteran guy who's been around the league to maybe mentor a younger player um, while also getting their, their quarterback of the future really up to speed in the long run. You know, I think there's uh, some value in having a quarterback. If he's not playing right away, having him coming up and developing in a winning culture, at least, you know, competing for the division title. I think that's a good intangible tangible asset to to bestow upon a young player so frank right to the carolina panthers those are my thoughts you know what do you think about uh this coaching hire for the panthers yeah i don't know i'm not i'm not too excited over it but i i guess i can see the 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 thinking uh frank Wright's supposed to be a, a qb coach right he's supposed to be helping uh develop quarterbacks uh that's supposed to be his area of expertise right so he didn't really you know, I, I guess to your point, if Carolina goes more uh, towards like a younger um, QB, I mean, they do, they also have Matt Corral over there too. Um, probably are not going to re-sign Donald. They might get one of these guys out of out of um, out of college as well. So that is probably more of his forte. You know, maybe you know, I know he made like some empty promises to Matt Ryan. Like Matt Ryan is a you know kind of more of the veteran quarterback. He probably. He probably was guilty of like not really spending much time with Matt Ryan and and uh, you know doing what he does best with quarterbacks and just kind of expecting Matt Ryan to do his do his thing or take control of that offense. But it obviously obviously did not work out for the Colts last year and Frank Wright. So um, it is kind of interesting to see that high over there in Carolina, especially because kind of looking to rebuild and this and that. But you know that that's kind of that might be more of his forte, honestly. Um, that's my opinion over the Frank Wright. I'm not super excited, but actually might you might see more success next year with Carolina than what you saw with the I mean, I I well, I don't know. I would think there'd be a lot of different seasons that are gonna be better than the Colts season in twenty twenty two, though. Yeah, I would certainly hope so. And my last thoughts on Wright, just to kind of give more of a, a little bit of perspective on him. You know, if you look at the Colts, his tenure with the Colts, you know, the first year is great with Andrew Luck. You know, they, they kind of hit the ground running. They make the playoffs. They win a playoff game. And uh, and then, you know, Luck retires last minute. And then they were kind of just in scramble mode for the 
the last few years to find a quarterback. And they never really tr- truly tried to get a young quarterback in there that they could he could groom and develop. They kind of just had that revolving door at the position where they, you know, they had a good year at Phillip Rivers and made the playoffs. And then it didn't, it kind of went down downhill from there. You know, they had the the Carson Wentz experiment that didn't go well. And they had the obviously Matt Ryan at the end, and then he loses his job. So you know, I think if they can spend a legitimate draft pick, a you know, top 10 pick on a quarterback, we'll see if Frank Reich really is the so-called quarterback whisperer or not. Uh, but I think it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a good uh, – he's a good He's a good guy to get a second opportunity. We'll see what he can do with the Carolina Panthers if he can help rebuild that franchise. And then we'll kind of – we'll finish up with the last two uh, The last two guys here. I'll write all my, my thoughts on both quickly here. We had two guys that were coaching for the Eagles in, in that Super Bowl, both their offensive and defensive coordinators – took new positions. You know, we have the we have Shane Steichen landing with Indianapolis Colts to be their head coach. There was a lot of uh they took a long time to announce this hire. And I think now we know why because they were they went with a guy who was coaching the Super Bowl, so they wanted to be respectful of that. You know, obviously, you know, coaching the Super Bowl could very well be a once in a lifetime opportunity. So they were wanted to be mindful of that and give him the opportunity to focus on that. But now they have their man in Steichen. You know, they the Colts have been like I said, they've been trying to patch it together for years. Uh, with the veteran quarterback. I think this is the time they're finally going to go the young route. They have the fourth overall pick in this draft. There's like a few, there's a few quarterback prospects in there coming down the pike that are going to be available. So they could also move up to the number one spot relatively easily with the Chicago bears holding the number one overall pick and having Justin Fields in tow. So be mindful of that. I think if Chicago does move out of the pick, this is going to be one of their preferred landing spots. And I would not be shocked at all if come, Come draft day, the culture are the first team on the clock and, and grabbing, you know, probably a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young in that top spot. So, what do you think about Steichen and the direction of the Colts? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good um, good hire. Actually, I, I'm a fan of a couple of these uh, these hires here that we're going to be talking about because, I mean, you just saw you know what the what the Philly offense can do with the good offensive line, right? Like that rushing attack. I mean, what's one of the best formulas for a, a new quarterback in the league? And that's a good that's a good run offense, right? So you got Jonathan Taylor, and he got it, you know, in theory, a good line, right? They just didn't really show it, and I, I think they had weird injuries at weird times this year on both sides of the ball. But um, it probably makes sense from a strategy standpoint. I mean, you know, let's let's see what let's see what he can do. And uh, I mean, you saw the su- success with Philly this year, and I I I feel like. You know, if you can take some of those, uh, some of that over to Indy, that can be kind of another run-heavy uh, team with a young QB. Um, you know, maybe it's a, a similar story they they had with Hertz. Yeah, they would love that that type of turnaround if they can build it around a mobile quarterback. You know, Bryce Young can certainly move. Stroud can move a little bit too. You know, that's uh, if that's the formula, good offensive line, good running game, mobile quarterback, you know, move up to the top of the draft board might really help them. And let's go to quickly to the uh, to the other former Philadelphia coordinator. This is on the defensive side. They Jonathan Gannon, you know, fresh off getting his butt kicked in the Super Bowl, um, gets hired by the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, and he really, he really lands in a tough spot. This might be one of the tougher positions out there that they're in, you know, they uh, they really are kind of in a teardown situation heading into 2023. You know, they're skilled players. Some of them are starting to get older. Zach Ertz is on the wrong side of 30. DeAndre Hopkins is at that mark as well. And AJ Green just retired. And you know, obviously you have Kyler Murray dealing with a really brutal knee injury. You know, this question is that he's if he's going to be ready to start in 2023. So, you know, this has kind of has a reset written all over it. I think the only reason they're really so tied to Kyler being the quarterback 
is because they gave him a massive extension before the start of last season. So this is going to be a tough rebuild here. The defense needs some work. Obviously, that's Gannon's forte. You know, we'll see. This is a guy we didn't really know a ton about prior to this season. The people outside of Philly didn't at least. So, you know, kind of a big question mark out there. He, I, I see them taking their lumps again this year and probably ending up with an early pick in the 2024 draft. But uh, what do you think about Mr. Jonathan Gannon ending up with the Cardinals getting an opportunity? Yeah, I think this is another like strategy pick as well, because I think this might be one where maybe the media got caught up a little bit with some uh, decision making, too, because like you saw the dysfunction with Kyler Murray and in, in, in Kingsbury um, this year. Right. Where, you know, you saw him arguing on the sidelines and, you know, maybe it, it maybe it is good to kind of get a defensive coach and you got to let, let the offensive coordinator kind of help run the offense with Kyler Murray because you, you saw too much sideline clashes uh, this year with those two personalities. And um, this might just be a play like that. And uh, on the defensive side of the bowl, they got some young um, prospects. I know they just lost Watt with retirement, but you got Buda Baker, you got Isaiah Simmons, you got some, you know, you got a couple of young guys that you can kind of build around a little bit. Um, but honestly, I think this is not another one of those strategic hires like, Let's just let the OC, um, you know, make the calls on offense and work with the the quarterback, and let's not let's you know let's not get into that situation again where you're butting heads on the sideline. And this might be more of a, like a publicity hire as well. Like, you know, I think it's I think it makes sense because Philadelphia had a you know they had a great um, defensive year and you know getting to the quarterback and that's the name of the game on defense uh, these days too. So. Uh, I, I think it makes sense, but I, I, I like the angle of thinking like, Hey, let's, let's have a different approach to that, um, offensive scheme with Kyler. Yeah, I hear you. You know, they had that, the supposedly the whiz kid coach on offense and they're kind of just flipping it over to a guy on the other side of the ball. So this might, might really be just as simple as you said, like we have one thing, one thing that doesn't work. Let's swing to the opposite side of the spectrum, get someone on defense and see if he can, if he can kind of spark the spark something out in the desert there in Arizona. But one other quick fact on all of the, all the five hires this year, oddly enough that they all either spent time coaching or playing in with the Philadelphia Eagles. Oddly enough. That's funny. That's funny. And and you look like the little trees in the NFL and every quote, every coach has like a, an interesting background. Like how many of that, like, also ties back to Andy Reid, right? Because he he's back to, um, you know, his roots are in Philly as well. So that it, it's kind of interesting to kind of look at just the trees of the the coaching. You know, when you're looking at the Reeds and the Shanahan's and the Belichicks of the of the league too, they should make like a family tree. But in, in coaches of the NFL, yeah, I mean, five years from now, the half the league might be somewhere in the, <laughs> the Shanahan tree or the McVay tree. You know, those uh, right those guys. Just uh, kind of taking over the league, but yeah, that wraps up our content here for tonight. It's uh, obviously the off season is officially here for the NFL, but you know, there's no off season here for us, especially especially when we start talking about dynasty, which is definitely my my favorite subject to dive into. You know, it's seven more months until we get NFL football back, but that means we have plenty of time to go over dynasty content. And you know, the NFL Combine is coming up at the end of this month. So shortest month of the year. It's just a couple of weeks away, and that scouting process is going to be in full swing. So make sure you're checking out what we have to offer on that front, you know, both in terms of our blog, SundaySurefire.com slash blog. And we'll be all over social media, Facebook groups, and 
you know, our Twitter, all those things. Make sure you're hitting us up everywhere. Following along and not missing a moment of our content that we're dropping on those fronts. But, you know, if uh, without further ado, peace. <laughs>